Well, hey, welcome to the Thematic Podcast. This is a series that we're doing called Conversations in Contrast. And my guest today is the one and the only Pastor Chris Valentin from Bethel Church. Ooh, scary. <laughs> yeah. And we are in a camper trailer uh, filming from the parking lot of Bethel in Redding, California. And so forgive us if you hear some background noise or cars driving around or something like that. But this is Shalom, the mobile podcast studio. And we're excited to be on this tour from Seattle to San Diego, interviewing pastors, leaders and influencers, people like yourself. Uh, if you're new to the, the show, just let me fill you in on what it's about. Conversations in Contrast comes from this idea that every man or woman of God that's been used in the kingdom to do great things uh, typically isn't doing that because their life has been perfect, but because they've actually been through something difficult. And unfortunately on social media, one thing that we're finding is that it's so filtered that people are thinking and believing even unintentionally that everybody else's life is perfect. Whereas I know my life isn't perfect, man, maybe I could never be like that or do that. And so we wanted to pull back the curtain on pain and struggle and maybe even the dark night of the soul a little bit, not to glorify it, but just to say, man, there's a making to a man or woman of God in the kingdom. And, totally. um, and so Chris, if I could introduce you this way, um, I know that your bio is, is big and the accomplishments and the, the formalness to all that it could be read for sure. Could we read it all, please? Can I, I can read it yes, word forward. know how <laughs> important I am. <laughs> well, I appreciate your humility. What I wanted to do is, um, I actually did read it. It says it's I'm awesome, but funny. I want I wanted to introduce you just from the perspective of like maybe if somebody came across you on know, social media. I know you have a massive social media reach, of course, uh, everything else. So just maybe the way that some normal person, quote unquote, might perceive you from afar. So this is what I would see: is that you're the co-leader uh, of one of the biggest, most influential churches in the world, really. Um, I know that you helped start the School of Supernatural Ministry and uh, a ministry organization organization called Moral Revolution. And I just know that you're a prolific preacher, prophet, author, I think maybe 12 books. Close enough. Yeah, okay. Um, And you're married and you have a whole bundle of grandkids. And so I could say like this, from somebody that we haven't been friends before this, uh, from afar, you look like one of the most successful pastors and leaders in the Christian church today, from my perspective. And so my simple question to you is, either God just really set you up and your life has been perfect and easy and wonderful and amazing, and or one of the reasons that you are being used by God is because you've gone through something. And if so, I wonder if you'd be willing to share with our audience one of the hardest things you've been through in your life or some form of pain or struggle, or maybe I could say the dark night of the soul. So are you perfect or is there some pain? Pretty close to perfect. Okay. Okay. Well, that's the episode folks. There it is. Uh, Well, I don't know what thing you want to talk about. I've had two nervous breakdowns. Really? Two children go through divorces while they were in ministry. Um, You know, we went through COVID. That was really tough Uh, in the middle of COVID our senior pastor's wife, you know, contracted terminal cancer and, and died. Yeah. And uh, we had Black Lives Matter with 30, 37 of our staff. Several of thought we were racist. And so we had that going on with Bill with Bill's wife sick with COVID plus COVID. 
and then our senior pastors left to plant a church in the midst of that. So we've, yeah, we've had a few dark episodes in our life. Wow. Just a couple. Just a few. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask you about one specific one of those? Yeah, you can ask me about anything. Because I know that you are obviously a man of great faith. And so I wonder if you would tell us a little bit more about the, what did you, what was the first thing you said? Uh, two Pat, nervous breakdowns. Nervous breakdowns. What was that like? Fun. It was a lot what, of fun. What, what does that mean? What What is it? Like um, physically, well, what is it? I, so um, the year after, so got married. I, so I, I met my wife when she was 12. We got engaged when she was 13. It's a true story. Got Wait, married. what? Yeah. You're serious? Yeah, I gave her a ring, everything. Got married. When she was 13. How old were you? She, I was 15. Okay. I was 16. So we got engaged. She was still in middle school or high school? Yeah. Where where was that at? In Fremont, California, okay. the Bay Area. We lived in. I lived in Sunnyvale. She lived in Fremont. Okay, things and, were different back in the uh, day. <laughs> well, we just both came from completely dysfunctional families. My father drowned when I was three. I had two stepfathers who didn't like me. So you know, my first stepfather beat me till blood ran down my legs. So yeah, I have a little a little bit of a little bit of uh, adversity in my life. Moved out when I was seventeen. Got saved when I was eighteen. How did that happen? Well, when I was 15 years old, my mother had divorced my first stepfather, and we had we were two years without a without a dad. And um, my mother was covered in psoriasis because, well, one, the divorce, and two, we had a prowler for 11 months in our that broke into our house twice, and we had the police out like six nights out of seven for 11 months. And uh, and so my mother was sleeping with a shotgun. I was sleeping with a rifle. I have two younger siblings. And the prowler broke into my, our, our house this this night, this one night, and uh, he ended up in my bedroom. And I yelled, and he took a, he jumped out the window again, and I took a shot at him and missed him. <gasps> so I wasn't raised to believe in God. I wasn't raised to not believe in God. I wasn't raised as an atheist. I was just not raised at all in any kind of... It just wasn't part of the conversation. No. <clears throat> my mom would tell us to pray, so she obviously had some belief in, in God, Creator, and uh, so that night, that night that the prowler got in my room, my mother crying on the couch all night long. This is going on for 11 months. Covered in psoriasis from the top of her head to like every part of her body covered in psoriasis. I was 15. I said out loud the next, the night after the guy was in my room, I said, if there's a God, if you, if you heal my mother, I'll find out who you are and serve you the rest of my life. And an audible voice said, my name is Jesus Christ and you have what you requested. I wake up the next morning and my mother was completely well. No. A week later, they, they caught the prowler. And the, the voice came back about a week later. And he said, my name is Jesus Christ. You said that if I healed your mother, you'd serve me. And I'm waiting. So I spent the next three years. You had no back. There was no like, mm -mm. you knew the Bible stories. No, no, no. I couldn't even read. I, I, when I graduated from high school, I read it on third grade level. I, I'd never read a book in my life. So I started going from church to church. I'd sit in the back of the church. And with, then my girlfriend was going with me. Mm -hmm. Your fiancé. Yeah. <laughs> first my fiancé, first my girlfriend, yeah. then my fiancé. And we're, we were go to church to church. And sometimes I go to two churches on a Sunday. Didn't know anything like Jehovah's Witness Mormon. All I know is his name is Jesus Christ. So any church that was had Jesus, I just was there. And I raised my hand three different times in three years to received Christ, but nothing mm -hmm. changed. Nothing ever happened to me. Okay. And uh, I was very disappointed because I'm, and then I would sit in the back of church and say, well, the God who spoke to me isn't here. 
and I did that for three years. And then uh, I was managing a, a repair shop, and there was this, which I know now to be a Jesus guy, Jesus people guy. He looked like a hippie, and he was inviting me to this thing called Hall Louis Singers on Wednesday nights. And he kept saying, oh, you got to come, you got to come, it's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you make a commitment to go, and then you don't go, you know how uh-huh. that goes. Yeah. Finally, he's like, hey, come on, come with me next week. I'm like, all right, all right, I'll come with you next week. And then I called my girlfriend, uh, now now my fiance. I said, hey, I'm going this thing. Go, oh, I'll go with you. He's like, we got to get there early. It's in a house, and there's like 120 kids. And so if we don't get there early, we'll have to sit outside on the lawn. Uh-huh. So we get there early, and uh, we got to sit in the front room. And immediately, like, the place was just flooded with hippies. They were all hippie <laughs> kids, right? They were all former drug acts, which we never we never did drugs. Is this, like, in the... Bay Area. Is the Sunnyvale, Jesus, movement Jesus movement time, like, is right... I didn't know I was part of the Jesus movement till 10 years later. <laughs> okay, okay. But now you I had were no religious background. Right. So uh, we're sitting on the floor, and uh, a young man with a guitar starts singing, and, um, you know, they're singing songs like, Hallelujah hallelujah and as they're singing those songs kids are standing up saying and giving three second testimonies jesus delivered me from heroin jesus healed my epilepsy jesus killed my cured my cancer and i was like the god who spoke to me is in this room wow the first time i'd ever been introduced to the power of god besides the audible voice of god spoke to me so when they had an altar call again for the fourth time i'd raise my hand and, um, you know, prayed a similar prayer I'd prayed three times before. And after the meeting was over, the leader, who was probably three or four years older than me, so he'd probably been 22, came and sat on the floor with Kathy and I. And he said, and he explained the gospel in the simplest of terms. Like, the Bible says that when you receive Christ, you're born again. You're like a little child. And he took us through scriptures and showed us the scriptures. And I'm like, yeah. And he, and he goes, and you need a father. I'm like, well, I've been looking for a father my whole life. So right. totally. And so he brought two young men over who were like four years older to me. And he said, which one of these men do you want to be your father? <laughs> I just chose the better looking one. <laughs> His name was Art Kipperman. And he became our spiritual father. Wow. And he, he, uh, he led us for three years. We met with him every week for, th- every, every week for three years. Just discipleship. And he was the most boring person ever. But he was exactly what I needed. Wow. And then he got married, and then Kathy and I got married, and we just met We just met with them every week with a group of about, probably, it was probably like 10 couples. And he just taught us simple things like you read your Bible every day, you share your faith every day, you pray every day, you worship every day. And that was, that was and we never turned back from that day on. We never turned back. Wow. And then uh, about year two and two of our marriage, which we had this wonderful marriage. About two, the second year of our marriage, Kathy was eight months pregnant, and I was getting out of the bathtub. I was still managing a shop, thirteen guys, and I a went shop, to, a like, repair shop, a repair shop, okay. automotive repair. I was in automotive repair okay. my whole life. I went to get out of the bathtub, and I suddenly had what I thought was a heart attack, and fell into the tub, and I couldn't get out, and I started yelling, "I'm having a heart attack!" and Kathy ran into the bath bathroom and I'm in the tub and I can't get out. I have no strength to get out. And uh, she calls our doctor, who's also a friend of ours, customer. And he and he's, you know, she's like, Kathy, Chris is having a heart attack, having a heart attack. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
slow down. What's going on? So, you know, take his pulse. Talk, you know, talk to me. And he's like, okay, he's not having a heart attack. He's having a panic attack. And I started having like 40 of them a day. So, um, so for the next three years, I, I, I sweat the bed wet, wet at night. I would have terrible visions of doing horrible things to people. And that went on for three and a half years. We moved from the Bay Area to a little town called Weaverville, <clears throat> um, way up in the Trinity Alps Mountains of Trinity Alps, Northern California, to, so I could get well. My boss, who I worked for, moved his shop there, so I went to work for him there. I never missed a day of work, but it didn't get better. It got worse, and I started being demonized, very demonized. Uh, demons would, they would knock pictures off the wall. They would turn lights on and off. I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't, I didn't have It schiz- wasn't just a feeling. No, it wasn't schizophrenia. <laughs> Evid- There's actually, evidence. <laughs> no, no, my yeah. wife, everybody would see it, and they would, they would come and strangle me at night and crazy stuff, and wow. I was having like these terrible visions of, you know, doing crazy things to people, dismembering people, just like, you know, like wow. the most horrid thing you'd ever want to th- think about. Was Can I ask, was it, were you involved in ministry at this point, like bivocationally or? or no, you, at, you at that time I was, no, I wasn't a pastor or anything. I was a, a, but definitely a very strong believer. Okay. Strong believer. Involved in a church at least? Oh yeah. Always. Okay. Never. I never, I have never missed a Sunday since the day I received Christ. Wow. So um, even during my panic attacks, I would sit in the back of the church and I would come in and out. I'd have a panic attack and go outside, come back in. And then one night I'm laying on the floor. We're living way up in the mountains. <clears throat> it's snowing. It's dark. It's cold. I'm doing what I always do. I, I don't sleep at night. I sleep two hours a night most. Still? Um, no, then. Then. Night sweats. Horrible things happening. I go out in the front room. It's freezing cold. I turn on the the radio in those days. We didn't, you know, we didn't have Walkmans and all of that. You know, so I turn on the stereo and I put my head to the speaker, turn it on really low, just listening to noise, preaching, so that I could get my mind off of these visions I was having. Yeah. And I heard a man say, "God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but love, power, and sound mind." Now, I I read the Bible a lot, so I knew the Bible. And then he said, "Some of you think you're insane, but actually you're listening to a spirit of insanity." And he said, "Spirits." They give you their, your, their thoughts and then accuse you of having them. Wow. And then he said, not all your thoughts are your own. And at that moment, that's all I heard. I turn off the radio and I said, Lord, what should I do? He said, tell the spirit of fear and the spirit of insanity to leave you. Mike, now this is three and a half years, right? Mike, it can't be that easy. Now, right. I, I've right. seen deliverances before where people, you know, I was saving the Jesus people in it. So there was lots of deliverances. And so I just laid on the floor and I said, the spirit of fear and spirit of, uh, the spirit of fear and spirit of ins- insanity, leave me right now. I'm laying on my back. And it feels like, you know, when you get those lead um, vests, when you, when they uh, x-ray your teeth. Yeah. Yeah. The heaviness. It felt physically, it felt like that. Like it felt like something got off my body. Like, like the lead vest was pulled off. But my whole body, over my legs and everything. <sighs> God, now, I've seen, I yeah. by this time I saw many demons. You had seen all the classic manifestations in the demons. past. Demons. I saw demons with my eyes all day long. I didn't see a single thing that, my, that night. 
and it just got off me. And as soon as it did, my mind was immediately normal. After three and a half years, I was completely normal. And, um, and, and so Powerful. for the next seven days, I was completely normal. You know, I, I, had the, I had diarrhea for three and a half years. I couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, completely normal. I've even on purpose think a bad thought to see if it would create anxiety, completely normal. Okay. Then I, one day I'm driving home seven days. I'm, I'm laughing and, you know, I'm by myself. I'm laughing and I'm like, and I'm like, and I say out loud, I'm going to tell everyone that you are a liar. And immediately all the symptoms come back. I'm in my Jeep. It's, it's on, the, we're in, I'm in the middle of the wilderness coming home. And, uh, and I heard inside of my head, if you tell anyone, I'll kill you. And I pull over and I can't drive. I'm shaking. You were speaking to the, the devil. Yeah, devil. I was by myself in the car, in the Jeep. I pull over. I can't drive. I, I, I'm completely having a meltdown, panic attack. And this other voice says to me, does the devil hate you? I say, yeah. He said, why didn't he kill you when you were saved? When you got saved, I said, I don't know. He said, because he can't. His power is an illusion. And the only thing he has, is, the only time he's powerful is when you believe him. Wow. And immediately it lifted again. And I spent the next three years learning how to stay free. And as I was learning how to stay free, I started sharing my story. And I started sharing my story in our church. And all of a sudden, people would line up, 40 people line up. I'm having that same thing. I've been having it for years. And I figured out that no one tells anybody that you're demonized as a Christian. Right. I wasn't demon-possessed. A Christian can't be demon-possessed. Right. But I was definitely De oppressed. Demonized, That's yeah. why I need you need the armor of God, right? Right. So I spent, and it's just something that we, <clears throat> generally, the church is like, well, it's all over the New Testament, but nope, they're not, they're not here anymore. Yeah. Like, okay, <laughs> where'd they all go? So I started telling my story, and people started lining up for prayer. And when I got free, what I didn't understand any of this, you know, this is all like I'm looking back now. This is a long time ago. And I started realizing that whatever you get free from, you have power over. Right. And I started having, you know, I started doing deliverances on people, like literally like four or five a week for mm -hmm. 10 years. So that, that was the beginning of my story. Wow. So, the the terms that you've been using, uh, not panic attack. Uh, yeah, panic attack. Panic attacks I had a nervous and breakdown. nervous breakdowns. Yeah, but the way you're describing that is very much spiritual as well. Obviously, even yeah. It, so you, you're trying being so you can't separate the yeah. three the three pieces of you. If you have a crisis in your spirit, it's going to affect your body and your in your soul. Yeah. If you have a crisis in your body, it's going to affect all all three dimensions. Do you think that 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 those experiences and the path that it set you on in terms of ministering to people in that way is one of the most formative aspects of your ministry now and what has been since you moved here to Reading and been part of Bethel? Or is there something else that has really made Chris to be Chris a tool in the hand of God that can be used? Well, I think it's all. I mean, I think, you know, the Lord uses your your weaknesses and your you know, and He uses your crisis, 
if you'll let him, you know, um, there's lots of things that play into our lives, you know, good, good things and bad things. Cause you know, Romans eight twenty eight says all things work together for good. It doesn't say all good things. Right. It says all things. Right. So if I wouldn't have had a nervous breakdown, I would have never moved to Weirville. If I wouldn't have moved to Weirville, I would have never gone to the little 40-member Assembly of God church. If I wouldn't have gone to that church, I would have never met Bill Johnson. Hmm. If I never met Bill Johnson, I would we would have never become best friends. We didn't become best friends when Bill moved to Reading and became the senior leader of Bethel Church. He would have never invited me to come. Right. And ultimately, I would have still been repairing cars and selling auto parts. So I, I look at my life and I'm like, oh, that nervous breakdown is the reason why I'm at Bethel Church. Wow. It's the reason why I got to co-lead Bethel School Ministry. It's the reason why, you know, literally 15,000 people graduated <laughs> from school ministry. Thousands of people come to Bethel Church and I get to be a participant in that. And none of that would have happened if I didn't have a nervous breakdown. None of it would have happened. So the Lord uses, he wow. didn't cause the nervous breakdown. Right. But he causes everything in my life to ultimately work out, work out for good if I will stay in the fight long enough and allow him to do so. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. I hope you guys are hearing this because... Literally everything that we're talking about that you would see in Chris's life in terms of success from a visual, worldly standpoint, the path started here. Yeah. Start <laughs> there. Very, very dark place. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And, you know, and every time we go through a dark time, like wherever the Lord delivers you, when he delivers you, it becomes a level of faith that you're required to live by. You understand right. what I just said? Yeah, absolutely. So I have to, so for example, when we came to Bethel, we sold our business. We had three auto parts stores. We okay. sold it for 1.8, we sold them for, for 2.4 million. We owed 1.8. So that was going to give us, you know, 300,000 approximate dollars to live here. Mm -hmm. Because we came to Bethel for free. You know, we didn't make we agreed to work for free for the first year. Okay. But we were here one month and the company that bought us went bankrupt and never paid us. <sighs> so instead of getting 2.4 million, 2.2 million, whatever that was, we owed 1.8 million. And therefore I'll give you the short version. We lost our house. We lost all, everything except for our furniture and our two cars. So we get here Bethel can't pay us. Bethel's in trouble financially. Bethel existed before you guys moved here. The Bethel's 68 years old. Okay. 65 years old. Yeah. So Bethel. At that time, pretty small. Well, a thousand people. Oh, it was a thousand when you came. Yeah. But there was no finances to pay. No, there you was no. Like yeah. They, they were 2,000 when Bill came. And when Bill and after Bill got here, a thousand people left. So they're in financial it's great, trouble. It's a great start. Yeah. Yeah. So they're in financial trouble. Which I didn't know. You know, Bill said things are a little tight. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is, is that our employees were holding their paychecks because we couldn't pay them. And we were 120 days late on most of our bills. So we were, you know, we were um, over a million dollars in debt. And then, I, then, and then my, the company I sold to went bankrupt. So I went to the board 
our board, this uh, Bethel board, we were only here like by then maybe two months. And I said to the board, we're going to go bankrupt because we owe $1.8 million to 127 suppliers. Wow. And we're going to go back to the business world because it'll take us, you know, it'll take us three light years to pay for it here. Right. And um, I was telling, I told the whole story, all the nuances of it at, to the elders, to the board. <clears throat> and an old man stood up, the oldest man on the board. And he said, we're a family and families don't leave in troubled times. They bond. And then he said, would you not go bankrupt for six months and while, while I pray for you, while we pray for you? And I said, I have no faith for that. And he said, would you trust my faith? And I'm like, well, what's six months? Yeah. I mean, I owe so much money. And I said, I'll trust your faith for six months. So he said, okay. So they prayed for me, and I stayed on. And within one month, 900000 of my $1.8 million was forgiven. <laughs> and over the next three years, we got forgiven or paid off the entire $1.8 million. No bankruptcy. No bankruptcy. Never bankrupted. Is that elder or board member still around? Oh, yeah. He's 93 right now. Does he still serve? Is he He's still not here? on our board not anymore. Board. He retired two years ago. What? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. And so we, we, and then Bethel, wow. we brought our business skills to Bethel. Bill allowed us to use our business skills at Bethel. And o- over the next three years, same thing happened to Bethel. Bethel got completely free, debt free. And by year three, we owed nobody anything. And all of our bills were on time. By year three. Can you tell me what year about that was? Yeah, so we came here. Okay, so this is our 25th year. So it had been 1998 this year we came. Wow. And has it has the church been growing since that? Uh-huh. Yeah, Beautiful. I mean, our, our church began, like our total budget when I came was $1.8 million. Mm-hmm. Our budget last year was like $72 million. You know, our church was 1,000 people when I came. It's now 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. Our school ministry started with 37 students. We're, we'll have we'll train about 3,600 students this year, including online and on campus. That's amazing. We're sending two of our gals from our church down here yeah. in about a month, I it's think. Gonna be, it's just a while. I said it's a loss for us. You two are amazing. They're I think it's way. the best school in the world. I hope everybody who's running a school thinks theirs is the best. Yeah. My grandkids, four of my grandkids have gone through our school ministry. That's the best compliment in the whole world. They could yeah, go anywhere. Right. So, yeah, so that's our story, you know. And once the Lord delivers you from, you know, finances, for example, when he does a miracle like that, now you have to live by miracles. So the Lord told me, like six years ago, we were praying, my wife and I prayed us one, probably one-minute prayer. We asked the Lord to pay off our house. We owed 486000 Lord, would you pay off our house so that we can extend a legacy to our children because a righteous man leaves inheritance to his children's children. If we pay off our house, Lord, we could really, we could really do great stuff with, for mm. our kids while we're alive. And two weeks later, a man walked up to me in San Diego at a conference, and he waited in line for almost an hour. When I, I said, how can I pray for you? At, when he finally, he was the last guy in line. He said, I had a dream I was to pay off your house. <laughs> and a week later, he paid off my house $486,000. No way. Yeah. This is incredible. Number one, yeah. the 
how many different things that I could have asked you about hearing just your story of your pain from your childhood and your father dying and your own pain of being, I think I heard you say being physically abused. Yeah. Your mother, demon stuff, all of this pain and struggle is way more than I would have guessed. I mean, I knew everybody had something, but it's just way more. And you've been through so much. And then the, 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 the way that you operate and the way that Bethel operates, obviously, I don't need to tell you, you guys get a lot of praise from a lot of people and a lot of hate from a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Right? And, but... They I just, just don't know us. No, like, I just... To know yeah. us is to love us. Yeah, I just love the... It's not just like you read it in a did, book. Did you or, hear me? Yeah, to know us is to love us. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to point out, like, <laughs> sometimes we people can look at others and it's like, well, they're just charismatic. They're just emotional. They're just... But you're looking at a man here that has been through things and literally been delivered and seen miracles with his eyes. And like you're saying, what, say, tell us that thing again. Whatever God's delivered you from. He's given you power over. Given you power over, and now you're responsible for it. Now you're responsible for it. I, I so like, like if you didn't. We're, we're building a $120 million building right now. $120 million building. Mm-hmm. Like everybody, every professional that service we've ever had analyzed what we're doing they said you're building a building three times more expensive than you can afford okay and we're building it for cash but what they don't know is that the financial miracles we've had we have we have to believe god for financial miracles because that's part of the faith um our faith journey with god that's part of our journey with god so I've never had a physical, I personally, Chris Valentin, had never had a strong physical healing, like, you know, delivered from cancer. Okay. But I've had, you know, healing from two nervous breakdowns, right? you know, a, a, a fi- financial miracles, and I can go on and on. The things that have happened in my life, I, I now, to whom much is given, much is required. Right. So now I'm responsible to bring that level of faith to those areas where the Lord has delivered me. Hmm. Like you may not have to be responsible. Like you may not be unfaithful if you couldn't believe for a hundred million dollar building, because maybe you—that's not been the area that the Lord worked you, with you in. But He has in my life. So for me not to believe for that would be a disobeying God. Really? So the way you view the that project is, I'm di- we're disobeying if we don't believe for this. Yeah, I mean, if God told us to do it, yeah, like not just right. make up something right, of course. and go. I, I'm saying if God told you to do it then you have no you don't have the right to not believe right because that's where he actually built your faith right wow well that's beautiful before i ask you the the last question on the podcast i wonder if based on the things that you've been through if there's what like just take the the panic attacks and and the the demon, demonic attack what's like one or two practical steps that somebody can take if they're going, they're resonating with you. Like, man, I'm going through that now. Number well, one, they're probably thinking, wow, he's been through that. I could, I could be used by God too. Yes, you can be. And number two, yeah. Like what, what is something that find a spirit filled? Well, yeah. I, first of all, I, I would get the spirit wars book. Spirit wars. Yeah. I wrote a book about it called spirit wars, okay. not to sell a book, but I, I've, I've, 
given, you know, we've, we've given thousands of those away. Even during COVID, we gave the, 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 um, the uh, electronic book away, thousands of them, 40,000 of them. Wow. And uh, just hundreds and hundreds of people just wrote back. Wow, that broke, just reading the book broke that. So it's my story. So it's instead of like, what's one key? There's a bunch of keys in there. But I would say this, that first of all, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but love, power, right. and a sound mind. Right. So what you have to realize is that demons actually can speak to you. That's why you need armor. They spoke to Jesus Christ, you know, right. uh, Matthew 4, Luke 4. Right. So you're, you know, and secondly, the way that demons talk to you is by giving you their thoughts. And then they give you, then they accuse you of having them. Hmm. And, and when you're a Christian, you know, we hear people say all the time, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's not true. You were a sinner. When you received Jesus Christ, you became a saint. You didn't make yourself a saint. He did. What I'm getting at is that the blood of Jesus didn't just forgive you. It transformed you. First John 1, chapter 1, 2, and 3, if you read that, John in chapter 3 says, nobody who's born of God can continue to sin. So God has given us power over sin. He's given us power over the enemy. The challenge is, is that the weapons of warfare are not carnal. Right. But they are powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And Ephesians 6 says, our struggle's not against flesh and blood. But Christians are taught every day that the old man and the new man are alive in me. And like the old man's like the black dog and the new man's like the white dog. Whatever dog you feed, that's the dog that will rule your life. But that's not true. When I received, when I received Christ and I got baptized, the old man actually died. And the reason this is important is because if I don't know my old man's dead, then I think I'm in a war with my old man, my old nature. I'm not in a war with my old man. I don't even have weapons for an old man. I only have weapons for the enemy. So the enemy comes in and he, and he gives me thoughts. And then I wrestle. I, I dig my old man up metaphorically. I go to the grave. I dig him up. I wrestle with him. I kick him. I battle with him. I'm exhausted. And I, the next day I have the same problem. I'm like, man, what's well, this? Like, this is my ego. This is my old man. It's like, no, no, the enemy is masquerading as you, hmm. because he has no authority. He has power, but no authority. Jesus said, "I'm going to give you power over all the power of the evil one. I'm going to give you dudamus power, Greek word, over all the dudamus of the enemy." And but Jesus in Matthew 28 says, "All authority has been given me." Right. So he has some power, like he has like a knife. But you have like an atomic weapon. So he has some power. But the only way he can use that power is if you authorize him. And you authorize him by believing in him. And you know you believe in him when you fear him. Hmm. Because how you feel is what you believe. So when the enemy comes in and goes, you got cancer. Your wife's going to leave you. Your children don't love you. And you believe it. You can tell you believe it because you fear it. Because fear is faith in the wrong God. If a little boy comes to me and says, I'm going to beat you up, I have no fear because I don't believe he can. Right. If a gangster comes and says the same line, I'm going to beat you up, I have anxiety because I believe him. Right. I'm saying fear is faith in the wrong God. Hmm. So the way I stay out of oppression is I don't believe it. Isaiah 54, oppression will be far from you, you will not fear 
But if I fear, I attract oppression. Mm. I deputize the enemy who has no authority. Mm. And he uses my authority against me. Mm-hmm. So I have to realize if I, when I receive Jesus Christ, that I am a new creation. That word means, that word new is the word prototype. I'm an heir of Christ. I'm seated in heavenly places. Right. I've been given weapons of warfare. The devil's been disarmed and defeated. He has no arms. He has no feet. The, his, his, the only way he's mobile is when I carry him around. Hmm. He's, he, is, he is a squatter in my house. He doesn't pay rent, and all he does is destroy what God's made. Right. So I have to take authority over him, and I do that, be, and it begins with my thoughts. When I have a bad thought, I don't go, oh, man, what's wrong with me? And you should go see three psychiatrists and get some drugs. Well, I believe in counselors, but the first thing you should do is ask yourself, is that you or is that the enemy? Right. And then you use your weapons of warfare that are not carnal but mighty for pulling down strongholds. And I begin to take those things down, and I realize that the enemy is always attacking me in the area of my divine purpose. Mm-hmm. Man. Good stuff. So That's a good word. P- people need to. So one of the first steps you would say to people is think about what you're thinking about and how you're thinking about it. Exactly. And get the book. And get the book. And dive in. Dive get some in. Deliverance. Well, beautiful. Thank you for sharing all of that, man, so much. Um, the second part of this conversation, and it's not going to be as long, but conversations in contrast is one: what's one of the hardest things you've been through in your life, and two: I just want to talk about something awesome. So. I don't know if you know this or not, but I did a little research because I believe in letting other men's lips praise you. And so I was asking around about you. Hey, what are some of your favorite things about Chris that he does? And um, one person said that you still make an effort consistently to reach out to people individually when they're sick, when they have an interview coming up, when something's going on. And I think that that was something that I wanted to ask you about because, and I want to frame it like this in a, in a ministry world that sometimes can become very celebrity like, and we're, we're reaching millions of people and lots of books, lots of sermons, big platform stages, all of that. It can be tempting sometimes just by virtue of your time or your, your energy. And sometimes for some people they're, attitude about themselves gets puffed up but to be a person that still makes the time for the one the time for the conversation i think that's significant and i think that's awesome and would you just tell us a little bit about that without being humble because it's it's the type of thing that i think kids that want to be in ministry yeah and and the things that they see that are glorified are are typically the things on stages and the lights and the the, the big numbers, but their significance in, in the one and the, the call and the conversation, the meal when somebody's sick, the visit to the hospital, and you're still doing that, I heard. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I had a second nervous breakdown 15 years ago, and I laid on a couch for six months and couldn't get off the couch. And I was very, very depressed and very suicidal. And my doctor, her name's Julie, she called me every single day for six months. You saved my life. You ever talk to a depressed person? Incredibly hard. They're in a loop. 
Right. How are you doing? Not good. Feeling any better than yesterday? No. You're going to get better. Okay, I just want you to know you're going to get better. I'll call you tomorrow. Hmm. That was our conversation for six months. That woman saved my life. Wow. Conversations never lasted more than a minute. Every day. Every morning. I got off that couch. Next year I got completely well. And I said to myself, I will never ignore one of my team when they're sick. So if you're sick, you're going to get a text from me. You're going to get a phone call, however, communication. And if you're sick for a week, you're probably going to hear from me every day for a week. I just want you to know I care about you. And I learned from my own experience that most of my friends, when I was on the couch, there's many people that love me. I had three or four people reach out to me in six months. Wow. Because nobody knows what to say to someone who's in pain. Right. But I learned through my own experience that it's not what you say. It's just knowing somebody cares. So I don't, I don't text people or call them with an answer. I just let them know I'm with you. I love you. I'm here for you. You can call me day or night. We have 800 employees. So, you know, this is an ongoing every, that's not surprising that someone said something because it's what I do. I find out one of our team are sick, especially if they have something that lasts more than a couple of days. Right. Like, I'm just like, Hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Hey, you going to the doctor tomorrow? Okay. Hey, can you text me and let me know what the doctor says? I mean, I genuinely care. Yeah. And I just want you to know I care. It doesn't take long. I'm not a great visitor of the hospital. Of course, if my team's in the hospital, I'm there for sure. But um, I don't love hospitals, but I do want to be with some, I do want to be with you in pain. And here's what happens. You either bond or break in battle. Right. Battles are what bonds you. And when you go through something with somebody, like even if it's a text every day, it's crazy how loyal they are to you after that. I have people I text that I barely know. And they're like, hey, Joe's in the hospital. Oh, my gosh. Really? What happened? Da, da, da. Oh, can you send me his contact? Okay, can you send me his wife's contact? Cool. Hey, can we can we give him some benevolence? What do, what do they need? And I may not, you know, when they get out of the hospital, I may probably have no relationship with them. But always they're like, hey, thank you so much for being cared, caring for me and I just feel like it's running from pain is a bad plan. That's what Americans do. We run from pain. Or mask it, cover it, yeah. medicate it. But when we run to it, that's when we bond with people. Wow. Bad marriage. You're in a bad marriage. You got a problem with porn. You know, you're there's something going on in your life that you're ashamed of. I want you to be in my office. I want you to come and say, I, I'm struggling with porn. Can you, can you pray for me? You know, I'm overseeing you know these these this ministry and i'm struggling with porn and feel ashamed okay i'm with you and i'm you're probably going to get a text from me at least every other day until right. you have a breakthrough right i'm not going to let you fade away in shame bad plan wow I love that yet again, it's, it's not just because it's the good pastor thing to do. You're supposed to, it's in your job description, but yeah. your 
your passion, I can sense, comes from your own pain. Totally. You know what it feels like to lay on the bed and not have people call other than the, the doctor, and so you do it. A doctor That's didn't true. call because she was my doctor. She called because she was my friend. It's beautiful. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. Man, it's a lot. Thanks for asking More than me. I even expected. And, and I think, especially in the charismatic faith church movement, I think sometimes we can just try and push these things aside because, well, we got to believe God and we yeah. do. We always believe God. Absolutely. Over the, like, but it doesn't mean, like you said in Romans, things happen. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? But God turns all things for good. doesn't mean everything is good. So even when we live in faith from a, from a place of victory in faith, it doesn't mean that we haven't been through things and that God in your life has evidence today has used massive pain and struggle to make you to be the man that you are today. And so thank you. We're, we're humbled to have you share with us and appreciate it. Could I ask maybe for you just to say a prayer in closing yeah. for anybody? <laughs> there's so many things you touched yeah. on today, man. I w if I, we had more time, I would love to have, have asked you about your father and, and the stepdads and all that, but we, we don't have time today, maybe another time, but there's so many things you touched on. If, if you just maybe choose a few things to pray into, I think that there's an impartation that could take place yeah. there with people. And especially the, the path towards deliverance yeah. is one that in the church has just ignored. And I think that we're going to start seeing it more and more and talking about it more and more and people are going to actually get free. That'd be great. So, uh, Lord, we just release uh, freedom over everyone mm -hmm. who will hear this, this podcast. Uh, we pray for people that are oppressed, Isaiah 61 people. And we thank you, Lord, that you give beauty where there's ashes. You free captives, you release prisoners, and you create the favorable year of the Lord. Father, I just release that over every single person who will listen to this, no matter where they are in life. Father, if they're, if they're in a struggle, I'm thankful that you're not a light at the end of the tunnel. You're the light in the tunnel. You're with us always, and I know that you create a way out, a way out of temptation. And Lord, I pray for uh, people who are listening to this that uh, maybe they're selfish. Maybe they're maybe they're afraid of pain. Maybe they, it's all about them. Lord, I pray that you convict them and that they would, they would spend their lives helping other people be the best version of themselves. They would help them in pain. They would help them in weakness. They would help them in in the their purpose and destiny. And I bless everyone who mm -hmm. is in sound of our words, that our words would have such an impact on people that they would literally be transformed by this short conversation that we're having yes. in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. And God bless you all.